Thank you, Joanne. Thank you. Was that for me? No, I don't think so. <laughs> Thank you also to the Hosmer family. Uh, we're so grateful that you found a home here uh, with us. Scott Grant, uh, one of the pastors, one of the elders here. I'm going to be kicking off our Advent series. Uh, we're going to be doing, uh, looking at the Gospel of John, and this is going to take us four weeks. We're calling this God with us. The prologue in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through about 18, I think. And so we're going to be starting that uh, this morning and uh, really looking forward to that, really encountering Christ uh, this Advent season. So to begin with, let's play a game. This is a game show. You are the studio audience. The game goes like this. It's called Bible Fill in the Blank. Now, the way it works is I say the first part of the verse from the Bible, and then you speak out the second part of the verse, if you know it, and if you feel comfortable speaking it out. If you don't feel comfortable, you can just think it to yourself, and if you don't know the verse and and you're kind of new to the scriptures, that's okay, because at Bible fill in the gap, everyone's a winner. So, are you ready to play? Okay, you are the studio audience. We are live streaming all over the country right now. This is Bible fill in the gap. Fill in the blank, I should say. I should, I should know the name of my own game. All right, we're ready to go. Okay, I give you the first part of the verse, and then when I signal, you give me the second part of the verse. The first part of the first verse is this. The Lord is my shepherd. My shepherd. Whoa, we got a good studio audience this morning. <laughs> Correct answer, I believe. There it is, I shall not want. Correct on the first one. Okay, second verse is this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Well, you're going to do the whole Bible? I mean, it's just one verse, okay? Now, let's see if you're correct. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You are correct again. Third and final verse, Bible fill in the gap, everyone's a winner, and here it is. In the beginning. Oh, wait, 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 wait. There seems to be some discrepancy. Uh, Let me consult with the elders. Uh, Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, oh. It was a trick question. There are actually two correct answers, which is why there was some discrepancy out there. But up until the end of the first century, there was only one correct answer. And that correct answer was, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That would have been the only way you could answer that question until the end of the first century. What is the other correct answer? Oh, well, let's see if you're correct, Dan. Let's actually turn to the particular verse that you were talking about, John chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You are correct. Everyone's a winner here at Bible, fill in the blank. So why, why do I do this this morning? I want to show you the connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament, especially here in the Gospel of John. 
And this is one thing that's very important to understand when you study the scriptures and you know the scriptures that so many people don't think about. There's this intimate connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament so that the New Testament fulfills the Old. And when you're looking at the New Testament, when you're reading the Gospel of John, this isn't something that's just dropped out of thin air, dropped out of heaven. It's part of an ongoing story. So what would John be doing then by beginning his gospel in exactly the same way that the writer of Genesis begins the whole Bible? He's showing you that what's happening with the advent of Christ is the beginning of a new creation. And it's artistic, it's beautiful the way he does it. Because when you see in the beginning, and if you know how Genesis begins, you're thinking, okay, if you're, read it, if you're reading it for the first time, is John going to do exactly what the writer of Genesis did? And you don't have to wait for long because he changes things up a little bit. So what does John do with Genesis? So in the beginning was the word. In the beginning, God created. Now John says, in the beginning was the word. The word simply was. At first, the word is not said to be doing anything. The word was existing. The word was. But the word also was with God. So in the beginning, before everything gets started, the word was present with God in an intimate relationship with God, somehow separate from God. But then the mind-boggling thing is that, the, that John says the word also was God. So the word was somehow separate from God, but the word also somehow was God. And the word also is God because God doesn't stop being God. God continues to be God. The word was, the word always was, the word is, the word always will be. The word was with God and the word was God. So who is the word? Now John holds us in suspense here all the way until verse 17 of chapter one where he finally reveals that the word is Jesus Christ, the Jewish Messiah, the son of God. But he doesn't identify him as the son of God early on. That might be the higher title for Jesus as the son of God. Here he identifies him as the word. Why does John call Jesus the word? Well, what do we know about a word? A word expresses a thought. Right now, I'm using words. I have thoughts in my mind. I'm expressing those thoughts with words. Hopefully, you're able to understand my words and therefore unable to understand my thoughts. So the Son of God, now we're talking about the Trinity here. We're on holy ground. It's, you've got to be careful with the language here. It's easy to go off one way or the other, but God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Here we see the Father and the Son. The Son is identified as the Word, and a Word is an expression of God. So if you want to know God's thoughts, what do you do? Obviously look at the Word of God in the Scriptures, but more than that, you look at a person. You look at Jesus, who has identified as the word. This is, Jesus is God's expression of himself. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. So the word was. The word always was. The word always will be. But did the word do anything? Look at um, well, actually, so look at, should also look at verse two. And he was in the beginning with God. So everything is happening in the beginning with God. Now look at verse three. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was 
made. All things were made through him, the word. That would be Jesus, the son of God. Paul says the same thing. The writer of Hebrews says the same thing. Paul in Colossians chapter one, the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter one, using this word through concerning the son, having an agency in creation. And I'm not sure we can completely understand this because we have God the Father who creates. He seems to create through God the Son. So God uses God to create everything we can see. And that's what happened. So the Son, that being the Word, was involved in creation. So everything that we can see, everything that we can't see, the heavens and the earth, the biggest things, the smallest thing, things, everything was created by the Word. And then also, nothing was made without the word, which means that the word was not made. Jesus was not made. He always was. He's the creator. He was not created. He is the creator. So what else did the word do? Look at verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In him was light. What does light do? Light enables you to see. You can see what's true. You can see reality. And that's what the word does. The word is light, spiritual light, so that you can see spiritual truth. That's what Jesus does for us, especially in the way he speaks, so that we can see what is actually true, not what is false. And the word also is life. So the word imparts life. The word gives life. The word gives new life. So it, the word vivifies. The word uh, vivifies, gives eternal life. When John uses the word life in, in, in the gospel of John, it means eternal life. So he gives eternal life, giving us new life and giving us light that enables us to see. So enlightening us so that we can see that which is true. Then finally, one more time, John echoes the creation account in verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And here, once again, he's echoing Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, verse 4 reads this way. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. There's light, and there's dark. There's spiritual light, and there's spiritual darkness. Jesus is spiritual light, enlightening us, and there's spiritual darkness, which is evil. Especially, it is ignorance, because you need light to see what is true. Especially, it is willful ignorance. Willful ignorance. People prefer the darkness. Why? Because they don't want to come to the light and see what's true. They don't want to be confronted with anything. They don't want to see what's true and real so that they can repent and turn to Jesus and see what's true. They want to live their own lives their own way. A lot of people actually prefer the darkness. But the darkness does not overcome the light. Willful ignorance does not overcome the light. This is seen primarily in the crucifixion because willful ignorance, that is ignorance, that is uh, that, the, the ignorance that is evil puts the word on the cross, crucifies Jesus, and willful ignorance thinks it wins. Evil thinks it wins. But if you look carefully at the Gospel of John and the rest of the New Testament, what is being depicted here in the crucifixion of Jesus is the beginning of his enthronement. 
the beginning of his resurrection, the beginning of his ascension to his heavenly throne where he rules over the entire world even now. So indeed, the darkness does not overcome the light and the light shines in the darkness. The light prevails over evil and then enables us who follow Jesus to also prevail over evil. So put it all together, what do we have here in these first few verses of the Gospel of John? We have the Word as the Creator. The Word created everything so that we can live. The Word vivifies us. Those of us who come to Jesus, who is the light, he gives us life so that we can live eternally. And we have the Word also enlightening us, enabling us to see that which is true, enabling us to see spiritual truth so that we can know Jesus and follow him. And finally, the, the Word prevails over evil, enabling us also to prevail over evil. So you put it all together and you go, this is the Word. And we're not through yet, of course, with the Gospel of John. We're just starting. And you say, what a Word. What a Word. And then when the word speaks in the Gospel of John, some people respond and say, no one has ever spoken like this man. So indeed, what should we do? We should listen to the word. Who is God? As he speaks, pour over his words. Listen to the word speak, for example, in the Sermon on the Mount. And you will say, no one has ever spoken like this man before. The Sermon on the Mount is read the world over, even by people who don't believe in Jesus, and they marvel at it. Listen to the word as he speaks that awesome parable in Luke 15, which we call the parable of the prodigal son. And see if you've ever seen love quite like that before. I don't think you have. Listen to the word as he speaks the word. So what's John doing? John is depicting a new creation. With the advent of Jesus, the new creation begins. This is an important and beautiful and artistic thing that John is doing in his gospel. The new creation, which you expect to come at the end, which will come at the end, invades our, our lives here in the now time so that the new creation begins now with the advent of Christ. Looking forward in the Gospel of John, you go to that famous passage in John chapter 3. John chapter 3 was referenced earlier in Bible fill in the blank. And uh, we understand there that those who come to Jesus and believe in him are born of God, that's a new birth, born of the Spirit, born anew, born again. Different words are used to talk about the rebirth that we have if we come to Christ and believe in him. So, the Apostle Paul can say, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. We see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. And this creation, according to the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, is in bondage to corruption. It's not supposed to be that way, but it happened when humans fell into sin. When humans fell into sin, creation also fell, so that creation is in bondage to corruption. But you read through the Gospel of John and you get hints that what Jesus is doing is he is overturning that corruption and he is introducing a new creation. Jesus turns water into wine. He heals a man's son who is at the point of death. 
He heals a lame man. He feeds the 5,000 in the wilderness. He heals a blind man. And finally, he raises a man from the dead. He does all of these things, which are miracles, which aren't supposed to happen in this old creation, but in this new creation, which is happening, Jesus is introducing it and overturning the corruption of the old creation in anticipation of the day when he's going to come back and create what he, what he has started so that there's going to be a new creation, a new heavens, and a new earth. Finally, of course, in the Gospel of John, he rises from the dead. He rises from the dead and receives a new body, a new kind of human body that lasts forever in anticipation of the time when all of us who believe in Jesus are also going to receive a new kind of human body that lasts forever, that is suited to the new age. And it's very fascinating to see what John not only does at the beginning of the gospel, but also what John does at the end of the gospel, how the resurrection of Jesus also ties in to the book of Genesis. So first of all, look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. And the Lord planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. So this is garden. No one had ever lived there before. God created it. He formed the man. He puts the man in this garden. Now, look at John chapter 19, verse 41. Now, in the place where he, that is Jesus, was crucified, there was what? There was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Genesis chapter 1, you've got a, or Genesis 2, you've got a garden, no one had been there before. Now you've got a garden tomb, no one had been there before. What's going on? New creation. Then you have John chapter 20, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb of Jesus early while it was still dark. It's the first day of the new week. It's the first day of the new creation. It's a dawning of a new creation. It's still dark, but it's getting light with the resurrection of Jesus. Then you have Genesis chapter 3, verse 24. This is after the humans sinned. They were driven out of the garden. He drove out the man. God drove out the man. Genesis 3, 24. And at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim, these are angelic creatures, and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. The humans sinned. They were exiled from the garden. And there were these angelic creatures who, was, who were placed on the edge of the garden to make sure that the humans couldn't get back into the garden, partake of the tree of life, and live forever in a fallen world. It's an act of grace. Don't go back into that garden. Now, what happens when Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb as recorded in the Gospel of John? John 20, verse 12, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. Now we have angels again. What are they doing? They are now stand, they are now at the, where Jesus used to be, and, and now they're beckoning Mary and the rest of us to come back into the garden again and, and partake of Jesus, who is the tree of life, and to live forever. So do you see how it works between Genesis and John? It's absolutely beautiful and stunning when you look at it carefully, and you can see what John, who is a master craftsman inspired by the Spirit, is doing to demonstrate to us that with the advent of Christ, we have the beginning of a new creation.
Now, once again, there is a man and a woman in the garden. Originally, it was Adam and Eve in the garden, and they were exiled. Now what do we have? A man and a woman, Jesus and Mary, in the garden. New creation. Now later that day, on the day that Jesus was resurrected, we see something very interesting, but we've got to go back, first of all, to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. The man became alive. The spirit was breathed into him. Now, what do we see? John chapter 20, verse 22. And when he, that is Jesus, said this, he breathed on them, his disciples, and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. New life, new creation. There was a creation in the first place when you had breath, and the first human took a breath, and now it's breathing in the Holy Spirit and being a new creation. So the Spirit then, that's the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Spirit now has been poured out. The Spirit has been given to those who believe in Jesus. And Paul calls the Spirit the guarantee or the down payment of our future inheritance, our future inheritance in the new creation. So what he's saying is, in using the words down payment, the words down payment, he's saying that something of the eternal future that is ours, we can partake of in the present. So right now, as we taste of the spirit, we are tasting something of the new creation. New creation begins now. So what should we do? Watch for signs of new creation. Yes, we are in the old creation, but the new creation has invaded this creation so that we can watch for signs of new creation here in this creation. Why should we do that? Because there is enough going on in the old creation to discourage you all day, every day. And if you're not careful, this can happen. If you're looking at, out at what's going on in your world and what's going on in your life, perhaps, you can get very discouraged very easily. When you just even think about the fact that we're getting older and we're going to die, that could be very, I'm sorry to say that, but it's the truth. But it can be very discouraging. You could be discouraged all day, every day. You've got to get into the scriptures to find out what's true. And what the, scriptures are, what the scriptures are saying is that those of us who believe in Jesus are already partaking in this new creation in view of the fact that we, have, we are partaking of the spirit and that there are signs of new creation going on in, creation, in this creation right now. Where do you look for those signs? Think about it. One of the places that you look is your own heart. If you believe in Jesus, the spirit gives you new birth, the spirit resides in your heart, then from time to time, you should be able to see signs of new creation in your own heart. Now, if you don't yet know Jesus, you can still see signs of new creation because what Jesus says later in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 16, is that he's sending the Spirit not only to be with his followers, but also to convict people who do not yet know him of their need for him. So therefore, there, there are these signs of new creation in view of the presence of the Spirit who is convicting people of their need for Jesus. For example, Frederick, uh, Frederick Buechner was a writer, and he was not a believer. 
He eventually came to Christ, but before he came to Christ, he was looking at a photo in a book, I think, and it was a photo of um, Da Vinci's The Last Supper, and he was totally transfixed by the face of Jesus depicted by Da Vinci, and here's a photo of that great fresco. And for some reason, as he was looking at this face, he was just amazed by the face, just looking at it. And here's what Beekner says. That was the face that moved me and stayed with me because it seemed the face of a human being to whom everything had happened that can happen. And he was haunted by the image. Somewhere in the back of my mind, I seem always to have kept track of it as though to have a way of recognizing him if our paths happened to cross again. A few years later, their paths happened to cross again. Beekner came to faith in Christ and began writing about Jesus. Or there's a, a story from a writer by the name, a speaker by the name of Jan Johnson. And um, she, she's been a believer for a long time, so this is a different kind of a story. This is someone who already has the spirit. And uh, she had a son back then. She still has a son. But when the son was young, they had a, uh, a backboard and a, and a basketball hoop in their front yard. And a friend of the son would come over and play with the son every once in a while. And one time, the friend got a little too aggressive and pulled down the basketball hoop, and it was broken. And here's what uh, Jan Johnson writes. He, that is the friend of the son, laughed and looked at, looked at my son and said, I guess it's not, that, not the kind that pops back up. And she says this, I felt angry at this boy. Every time I looked at it, that would be the backboard and the hoop, I felt annoyed, annoyed with him. I was holding on to my anger and I knew I needed to surrender it, but how? Could the backboard become a reminder to pray for him just as it had been a reminder of being annoyed with him? What a backboard can do. Just as I was figuring this out, the boy entered a drug rehabilitation center. My fondness for him grew each time I glanced at the backboard and prayed for him. So the backboard became for her a sign of new creation, the spirit working in her heart so that she was not annoyed with the boy. She loved the boy. That's, that's new creation stuff. Because in the new creation, we're not going to be annoyed with one another. The law of the land is going to be love, which we will eagerly and lovingly submit to, loving one another. That was a sign of new creation in her heart. When I was 23 years old, I sunk into a deep depression. It lasted about a year. It was the deepest and longest depression of my life up to this point. Who knows what's ahead, but I haven't experienced anything like that since. And uh, I was lonely, and I was living in Reading at the time. I was pretty much all by myself. I did find a church, and that was really helpful. But there were a lot of lonely nights, and uh, I was depressed. It was as if there was this dark cloud hanging over my head all the time. And I would go for long walks at night, walking the streets, pacing back and forth, turning down this street, turning down that street, praying, reflecting, trying to understand this depression that I was in, trying to get out from underneath it. And then one time, sort of out of nowhere, on one of these walks, a worship song came back to me that was based on Psalm 139. In fact, it, it completely accurately reflected the words of Psalm 139, and those words came back to me. This is more than 40 years ago, and I can still remember the words, I can still remember the tune of the song, even though I haven't sung it since. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. 
and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Never had to memorize that verse because I sang that three or four or five or six times in church. And that song and that verse came back to me and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I realized that there was a wicked way in me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. Indeed, there was. There was a wicked way in me because I was holding something against someone. And I needed the Lord to lead me in an everlasting way. And suddenly, out of nowhere, the dark cloud lifted. I don't know why, but the dark cloud lifted. But here's the thing. It lifted only for a little while. I went to bed that night feeling pretty good. I woke up the next morning, dark cloud, still there. And this is what happens with depression sometimes. You think you're out of it, and you're back into it again. You think you're out of it, you're back into it again. But here's the thing about that sign. It was a sign. And it was a sign as a harbinger of better things to come, better days to come, and indeed a sign of eternal days to come. Well, I'm not going to be depressed ever, ever again. My whole life is going to be filled with joy in eternity. But the joy returned in about a year also. It was a sign of better things to come. Moments. These things happen. Signs. Moments of new creation. That's what they are. They're just moments because they don't last forever. You don't know when they're going to come, but you know they're not going to last. You can live in them when they come. You can't make them happen. You can't make them last. Eventually, they go away. But what can you do? You can't live for these moments because you don't know when they're going to come and you don't know how long they're going to last. But you can live from them. Live from them. What do I mean by that? These moments of new creation are giving you a window into the new creation. They're giving you a window into reality. And that's what we want to live based on. We want to live based on reality, based on the truth. And these new creation moments do that for us. They may enthrall you for a moment, but they don't last. And you can't repeat them. You can't go back to the past and repeat the past. A lot of people want to feel like what they used to feel like. You can't do that. You have this experience, and you can live from it. Not for it, but you can live from it. In The Brothers Karamazov by Dostoevsky, there's this uh, protagonist is Alyosha, one of the brothers, and he has the mentor by the name of Father Zosima. He's a monk, and Father Zosima has died, and he is very depressed. But uh, Alyosha, at that point, has this vision. It's the vision of the wedding at Cana, where Jesus turns the water into wine. But the vision is not from the first century. The vision is from the new creation. He envisions and he sees Jesus turning water into wine in the new creation, and then his mentor is there to encourage him. Father Zosima is there. And Father Zosima encourages him to sojourn in the earth. And then the vision ends. The vision passes. He was in ecstasy for the moment. And after the vision, he fell to the earth. He was in love with the earth. Alyosha kissed the earth. And here's what Dostoevsky writes, he had fallen to the earth a weak boy, 
but he rose up a resolute champion and he knew and felt it suddenly at the very moment of his ecstasy. And never, never all his life could Alyosha forget that minute. He couldn't repeat it. He couldn't go back and live it again, but he could live from that moment, which is what he did. And he did exactly what Father Zosima, his mentor, encouraged him to do. He sojourned in the earth in search of people to love. Now, I have to tell you, the first time I read, I slogged through that book. <laughs> you know, Brothers Karamazov, give it a try sometime. Okay, it's not easy. But every once in a while, you'll get to passages like the wedding at Cana. And the first time I read that, it just knocked me off my chair. And it was a new creation moment for me. I mean, I was emotionally moved. When, when Alyosha fell to the earth, I fell to the earth with him. When he rose up a resolute champion, I rose up with him. And I wanted to sojourn in the earth and love people. And I was walking back and forth for about 30 minutes trying to understand what I experienced and trying to experience what I was experiencing. But then the moment passed. But I'll never forget the moment when I first read the brothers Karamazov, when I first read about the vision of the wedding at Cana, and I read that passage every once in a while, once, once in a while again. I read it last week, and I'm inspired by it. I can't feel the same way I felt when the first time I read it, but I can remember how I felt, and it was a window for me into reality. That's the way to live, sojourn in the earth and love people. Rise up a resolute champion in Christ based on what Christ has shown us. Live that way. So I read it again last week, and I was encouraged, and I share it with you today. Live from the moment. So watch for signs of new creation and live from those signs. In the beginning, what happened? God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. New creation. In the beginning, in the beginning. Now what do we have? We have the word. In the beginning was the word. And the word we find out in John chapter 117 has a name. And his name is Jesus. What are we doing today? We're celebrating hope. The first Sunday of Advent. Hope has a name. And his name is Jesus. 